the only talk radio afternoon drive show that makes sense beyond the headline with Aldrin Simpia right here on SAFM it is 15 minutes now before uh, 4 o'clock. We're in conversation next with uh, Mr. Edi Iyo, who is a sports historian and media marketing consultant, as well as Professor Igosa Osagai, who is a director general of the Nigerian um, Institute of International Affairs. So as the Springboks begin their National Web Alice Trophy tour today, our guests help us understand the significance of sports diplomacy and how it can be used as a tool to build bridges, promote dialogue, and to foster cooperation among different countries, cultures and communities but most importantly we are looking at the box recent victory and what it means for African for the African continent this as we also remind you about the 1976 Olympic Games that saw more than 20 African countries boycotting the event post the ugly scenes of the 1976 Soweto uprising a prof as well as Mr. EU thank you so much for making time for us this afternoon thank you thank you Professor Osagai, let's start off with you. What is sports diplomacy? We hear about diplomacy and a lot being said about diplomacy and quiet diplomacy, but what does sports diplomacy do? Thank you. Um, Diplomacy is a multi-track system. There is diplomacy at the formal level of state-to-state diplomacy, and there is diplomacy at the citizen and non-state level. You might call it the informal level of diplomacy. Diplomacy is driven by instruments in two categories. One is the hardcore diplomacy. The other is the soft diplomacy. Sports everywhere in the world is recognized as something that involves everyone there are different kinds of sports. So this is not just recreation. It breaks down barriers. It breaks down divisions. It breaks down those traditional cleavages that have separated human beings um, of all ilk. So sports diplomacy actually is one of those soft power instruments that we have used over the years, across the ages in all countries to further understanding, cooperation, linkages, but especially to do so at the level that allows some entertainment, some commerce, and the other considerations that would greater um, have the greater propensity of bringing citizens together. So in a sense, sports diplomacy is a complement you know, of the formal side of diplomacy, that helps to break down barriers and help to enhance the confidence that people need to interact and therefore help their countries. So sports diplomacy can involve individuals and can involve states. At the political level of global politics, in the struggle against apartheid, for instance, sports became a very useful handle you know, for um, strengthening positions, especially that the Africans had. And so when the um, 1976, you know, um, Soweto uprising went around the world, it was time to begin to say, we should also follow that up in every way that is possible to do. So we had sports boycotts of the Olympics, of the Commonwealth Games, 
and sports has now become such a political instrument um, everywhere. But most of all, sports is for peace, sports is for partnerships, sports is for understanding, and sports is for human cooperation, because it is the only thing that allows all of us to see that, after all, we are the same people. Thank you so much for that, Prof. Mr. Eo, so 1976, um, it is July, it is the Olympics in Montreal, they're about to kick off, and a day before there is this activism that all of a sudden then takes place and it now plays out on this international stage. It is the Olympics of 1976, a month after uh, the July unrest or the July, so the, the, the June 16, uh, rather, June 16, 1976 uprising in Soweto. And then we have these 20, more than 20 African countries that decide to boycott um, the Olympics. What's the significance of that moment and how did it inform um, the sports platform at an international stage being used as a tool of diplomacy? Uh, thanks. Yes. So someone in New Zealand thought it was a good idea to send a rugby team to go and tour apartheid South Africa two weeks, two weeks after the Soweto uprising. The 1976 Olympic Games to be held in Montreal were held in Montreal. This was the largest element of civil disobedience, if you will, or civil rights protest in the history of sports. 27 African nations plus Iraq and Guyana said to the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, if you allow New Zealand to participate at the Olympic Games after they were warned not to send a team to tour apartheid South Africa, we're not coming. We are not going to sit at the same table and dine with a country that continues to have spoiling links with a racist regime. At which time the International Olympic Committee argued that rugby is not an Olympic sport and that the New Zealand Rugby Union is not affiliated with their Olympic Committee. Therefore, they are going to allow New Zealand to participate. So a day before the opening ceremonies, the African countries withdrew their delegations from the 1976 Olympic Games. So imagine this. Imagine being an Olympic competitor. You're set to march into the stadium for opening ceremonies. And the day before that happens, you were told that because of events, because of this rivalry in rugby between New Zealand and South Africa, has nothing to do with you, that you are now sent home from the Olympic Games. In total, 440 athletes from across those 27 nations, plus Iraq and Guyana, were impacted uh, by the Olympic, by that boycott. As a result, the city of Montreal lost nearly $2 billion from those games. And that's when you could see that this rivalry was played out on the platform of the Cold War, because that's what it was. And so that ever since then, everything that informs the actions of the International Olympic Committee is to prevent a boycott, because this certainly had an impact on the games itself and also on the perception of those games. So to see today that we celebrate the Springbok is, you know, it's something of joy, because if you look at it, if you were going to use sports to achieve a political objective, those objectives were met. South Africa is free. And the Springboks are now back competing on the international circuit. So there has been this rehabilitation, if you will, of the Springboks and the Springboks brand. So, yes, 
work was used as a very powerful weapon in 1976. And recently we had a chance to reunite with those, those athletes 47 years after the fact. And many of them have never forgotten it. But to a person, each of them is very, very elated at the fact that the ultimate means, the ultimate objective was in fact achieved. And Professor Osagar, I think also with that particular moment as well, is that, well, now you have um, this protestation that is taking place, uh, 20, over 20 um, African states um, that are taking a stand. But it's also a reminder that there was a time in our history where the world was looking away from the atrocities that were happening in South Africa. Oh, precisely. Now, sports then became the contact point for reminding the world, uh, just in case, you know, you're looking away in the um, industrial sector, you're looking away in the manufacturing sector, you're looking away from trade, you're looking away from, you know, the economics of, you know, um, production and so on. Here we are. Because um, sports, especially at such critical moments as, you know, the Olympic Games, uh, Commonwealth Games and so on, the symbolism, you know, of the fact that this is one area where world interest is concentrated, you know, um, then begins to make it matter. And see that, you know, as um, Eddie said, in the, in the throes of the Cold War, this was a very significant, you know, a very symbolic reminder of the fact that, you know, the contradictions have played out so many times. It is time to walk the talk. And so the boycott itself was, you know, a very uh, strong message that was sent to the world. And you would see that after that success, you know, the sports boycott became, you know, one of the instruments for pursuing national interests, you know, across board. But I think in 1976 and um, in 1978 for the Commonwealth Games, this sense told the world you cannot do without us. It was a sign, a very strong reminder of the world that, you know, we are an integral part of this world. If you think you can do without us, let's see how far you will go. And I think that's when, you know, um, the, the, the history, the, the narrative of, you know, the anti-apartheid struggle um, started to shake the world to its fundamentals. And Mr. Eo, then you fast forward to 2019, 2023. Sia Kolisi is the captain of um, the Springboks, um, the first one to win um, two World Cups back-to-back -back on top of that. But he's black at that as well. And he's playing for a team that once was a symbol of Afrikaner dominance. What message does that send? And if I, had, if, if I had a wish, it would be to ask Sia Kolisi this question as well. What does it mean for him to be a black captain of a team that is once considered to be a symbol of Afrikaner dominance? But from your perspective, what message does it send? I think that it sends a very strong and very clear message. Former South African Prime Minister B.J. Worcester once said that a black man will never wear the Springbok jersey because it would erode Afrikaner values that they stood for. So this thing was deeply rooted into the, it seeped into the very identity of that set of people. In fact, uh, former uh, uh, Springbok player James Small talks about how he, as having British lineage, had quite a bit of a hard time integrating initially with the team, even though he was white, but because he was not a poor Afrikaner. 
I do think that it's time that we start to consider Sia Polisi in the conversation of the rugby greats and one of the greatest captains. I mean, the fact that he was even in a position to play to defend the title in uh, 2023 that they won in 20 uh, in 2019. He has been at the helm since 2018, so two World Cups in five years is significant. And the fact that he's wearing the number six jersey. So we need to start looking at the Springbok number six jersey the same way as we look, for instance, in football, the Brazilian number 10. Argentina, the Brazilian number 10. Uh, rugby, the New Zealand number 11, the Jonah Lorma War. We now need to start looking at the number six for the Springbok. That jersey in and of itself has now elevated in terms of brand value and significance, if you will, because of Pinar, Colisi, and of course, Madiba also wore that shirt. It cannot be stressed enough, the symbolism and the breaking of barriers, significant barriers that once were thought impenetrable to see a black man stand there significantly holding the Rugby World Cup in 2019 and then doing it again in 2023. This, this is huge. I mean, Yes, New Zealand was the first country to win the tournament back-to-back 2011-2015. Australia won two out of three years in 1991 and 1999. Of course, South Africa prevented them from getting the three-peat. But I do think that we now need to look at Colisi from a different lens. And Prof, just quickly in conclusion, um, fast forward again to 2023, um, we had a situation here in our country where Orlando Pirates, one of um, the uh, teams of the PSL League, playing against Maccabi Tel Aviv from Israel in a FIFA preseason, and there was a lot of protest against that. But then, would you say that as a country, we might have lost the um, tool of sports diplomacy to be influential and impactful because the governing party as well said that they're against the decision. However, though, Pirates went ahead and Pirates played with the Tel Aviv squad. No, no, not at all. Um, we haven't lost anything. You know, in diplomacy, you don't have strong winner-takes-all um, um, options. You have room all the time for middle grounds and so on. So um, I don't think so. It just simply means that, you know, there are there are things to work on. And, and let me just join this to say that what has happened in, in the victory of the Springboks uh, must be seen as the final triumph, you know, of the rainbow strategy, um, you know, conquering the global stage, transforming what was a white-only sport to a national sport shows that, you know, diplomacy and the kinds of barriers that sports will be able to break down for you um, are not only global and international, they are also uh, domestic and internal. So I think the South African model, um, you know, that has been long in coming uh, since after the uh, transition that we had in 1994, uh, we've had the first Rugby World Cup, we've had the cricket, we've had, you know, South Africa hosting the World Cup. All of these things show that South Africa has a lot to teach the world in the area of sports yeah. diplomacy. So I wouldn't say that is um, um, a failure of any sports diplomacy at all. It is simply to say there's more work to be done in that area.
Thank you so much for your time. Professor Agosa Osagai, who's a Director General of the Nigerian Institute of International Affairs, as well as Idi Uyo, who is a sports historian, media and marketing consultant, on a conversation about sports diplomacy.